So we are in week, seven, uh, week eight of our In Christ series. Next week we will conclude uh, our In Christ series. It'll be week nine. And we're gonna, next week we're, we're, we're going to be talking about the surpassing love of Christ. The surpassing love of Christ. And the Apostle Paul ends chapter three with a prayer. Ephesians 3, he starts in verse 14, and he starts with the phrase, likewise, likewise. And he starts this prayer, verses 14 through the end of chapter 3, and he's praying that, that, that they would come to understand and realize all of the things that he communicated for the first three chapters of this letter that he wrote. But what's interesting is, is that whenever he started that prayer in verse 14, it wasn't when he first started the prayer. He started the prayer at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, which is what we're going to look at. I said it was likewise that he started with, but it was actually for this reason. The phrase, for this reason, is what he said. And he did what a lot of preachers do. Have you ever heard a preacher preach, and and he he says something, and it's like he has a moment where you realize, uh uh-oh, something's about to change here, and he's about to go on a rabbit trail. Ever seen preachers take rabbit trails? Yeah, amen. Sometimes they're good rabbit trails. Sometimes they're nonsense rabbit trails. And and it takes him a while to get back to where he's supposed to be going. Well, the Apostle Paul was the first rabbit trailer, right? You know? And and he did it. So if it's good for the Apostle Paul, it's good for us as preachers. We can go on rabbit trails like the Apostle Paul. But what he does here, he says, for this reason. And then he, he, it's like he just has to say it over again. And he repeats basically everything that he said in a nutshell in the previous chapter about the mystery of Christ, how Jews and Gentiles are one. Do you remember when I preached about that unity in Christ about three weeks ago? You guys recall that message? And I talked about how that, that in Christ that we are all one, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, that, that we all come to the cross the same way. We come to the cross the same way, humbly, with the repentant heart, acknowledging and recognizing that God is holy and we are not and we are sinful and we need forgiveness and that in Christ, the the foot of the cross is level ground. And this is what the Apostle Paul was preaching to the church at Ephesus, that, that in Christ, that the Jews are not greater than the Gentiles and that we are all one in Christ. And, and he, he's just, it's like he wants to say it again. He wants to go at it again. He wants to remind them again that we are one in Christ, that this, this mystery of Christ that had been hidden for generations has now been revealed, and now we can be one in him, surrender to Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul repeated himself, but I'm not going to do that to you this morning. <laughs> We're not going to look at those verses again, and I'm not going to preach the same message I preached three weeks ago. But what, what, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this section of scripture, we're going to pull out some truths that are in these 13 verses. As the Apostle Paul repeats himself, we're going to dig up some treasures that are in these 13 verses before he gets to his closing prayer. But so before we get to these verses, I just have to ask you a question. How, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? What, 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 what influences your, your identity? And so I believe that your purpose in life is linked to your identity. Your purpose in life is linked to how you see yourself. And so some of us in here, we, we see ourselves in many different ways. Some of us see ourselves as, as able and competent and, 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 and able to do everything that, that God's called us to do. And some of us see ourselves as weak and flawed and insecure. And some of us see ourselves in, in ways that are, that are unhealthy. We have unhealthy views of, of, 
ourselves and what God has done in our life, it's hard for us to, to believe that what God has done is true. And so we see ourselves in ways that are not healthy. But how should we see ourselves? What is the correct way? As a believer, I'm speaking to us as Christians. How should we see ourselves as Christians? And there are many ways in which you can, you can uh, uh, see yourself and declare about yourself. But there really is only one way that I think is the most healthy way to view ourselves as Christians. And, you know, it's important that we would have a positive self-image, you know, but there is a a lot of preaching out there that that's basically all they want to talk to you about is your positive self-image. But really, that's that's not the biblical pattern about what, and what we see in scripture about what is important as far as our self-image. And I believe the Apostle Paul, in these verses, and in particular this first verse, he reveals to us how we should see ourselves. And so let's read, we're going to read all 13 verses, and we're going to look at how a correct lens of seeing ourselves correctly influences what we prioritize in our life as our purpose. Do you guys guys want to have a sense of purpose in your life? We all desire that, right? To know, God, you have called me to do this, or you've called me to do this, and and we all long to have that sense of purpose. And I believe that our purpose is founded, as Christians, our purpose is founded upon a correct view of who we are. So let's look at these 13 verses here, starting in verse 1, chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, rabbit trail, here it goes, assuming, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery is made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, speaking of the earlier verses there, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, what is this mystery? has been revealed to the apostle Paul that he revealed to us earlier. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, which is what we talked about three weeks ago, that that Gentiles are on the outside of the promises of God apart from Christ, that they, they are not like the Jews, and Jews were God's chosen people, the instrument of God to bring into the world the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And, and what he's, he's repeating himself and saying that in Christ, through the gospel, that those that are non-Jewish, those that are Gentiles, can be brought together with Jews and be members of the same body, partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. A lot of verses there. But what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at how we need to see ourselves correctly 
so we can understand what our purpose is. And this is in line with understanding that these are, that Paul, that we're, what we're going to look at and what Paul has been looking at is the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. So through, through those lenses, let's look at these verses in depth here. So the first thing I want us to see is this, is that in Christ, in Christ, our suffering, our sufferings have meaning. In Christ, our sufferings have meaning. So how did the Apostle Paul see himself? Again, he, ha- he saw himself in a particular way and God called him to do amazing things and he had great purpose, but that purpose started with a correct view of who he is. How did he see himself? Let's look at that first verse. Paul described himself right here. Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason I, Paul, say it with me, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. How did he see himself? As, as a prisoner. As in chains. He was, he was a slave. In, in, in other portions of Paul's letters, in his introductions, he would, he would describe himself as a, a servant of Christ. And that word servant is a, is, comes from the Greek word doulos, which means slave, bondservant. So he sees himself as a slave, as a bondservant, as a prisoner of Christ. And, and, and that, that image of who he is impacted the rest of his life. Because if you believe that you belong to yourself... If you believe that you're the captain of your own destiny, that you get to, that you get to make the rules and you get to do what you want to do, then, then you miss out on the purposes of God. And the, pur- and the purposes of God cannot be realized through your life. Now, could the uh, Apostle Paul have seen himself and declared himself to be something different? Absolutely. And actually, he did that in Philippians chapter 2. Excuse me, chapter 3. Philippians 3, 2 through 6. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes himself. He says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for those false teachers, for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Let me explain what that means. I can't really pass over that without explaining that. What he's saying there is, is look out for those Jewish false teachers that are telling New Testament Christians during that time, Gentiles, that they had to be circumcised in their flesh to be a part of Christ. So he's saying, look out for those that teach false doctrine about, about circumcision. Look out for false teachers. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, not by something in our flesh, and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Listen to this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul said, you think you, you, think you religious Jews that you have reason to be confident? I want you to know I am all that and a bag of chips. You think you're religious? I superseded you 10 times, 100 times more than all of your religious doings and practices. He says, I've got it together. I had it together. I mean, this is pretty straightforward. He says, if if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day as every Jewish male was required to be. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, as to the law, I didn't just believe in the law of God. I was a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee. I I was a keeper of the law. I was to guard it and tend it. I was to teach it. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Those people who claimed that Jesus was the way and they were trying to undo 
Judaism, I persecuted them. I was a murderer. I was a persecutor of the church. So you want to talk about zeal? Paul is saying, look, I could boast in all of these things. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was a keeper of the law. I, I was circumcised in my flesh as, as, as I was supposed to be as a, as a young boy on the eighth day. I had all of these, these regulations, but I'm not going to boast in those things. And he, and he goes on, it, it says here, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Powerful, that's profound. But how did the Apostle Paul see himself? You go on in Philippians 3, he says, I don't boast in these things. These are all foolish, this is all foolishness and filthy rags. I don't boast in any of these things. But how does he see himself? As a prisoner of Jesus Christ. As somebody that is enslaved to Christ, that he is my owner. And you're probably thinking, what does this have to do with suffering? I, I don't understand how suffering is connected with my, with my identity. And here's, here's where it shifts and here's where it changes. Is that when we belong to Christ and we are under his ownership, we are submitted to all of his ways. And as Christians, we're not promised that our life is going to be easy. And so some of us have fallen under the false belief and the false doctrine of the prosperity gospel and all of its tentacles that, that, has, that have made its way into, into churches across our world that, that teach people and tell people that, 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 that your life is supposed to be, as a Christian, smooth and smooth sailing and no suffering and no pain. And if you have enough faith to believe that, that you can change all of your circumstances. And some of us believe the false gospel, of that, that false prosperity gospel. Because the Apostle Paul, who brought this mystery of the gospel to us as Gentiles, what did he experience in his life? Let's look at what he experienced. Paul's life was one of much suffering. And our identity is connected to our purpose. And we're going to see that through the suffering of the Apostle Paul. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And I am talking like a madman with far greater labors. Listen to this. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Let's just stop for a second. Let's think about this. This is the teacher of the mystery of Christ. That, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's another way that Paul described the mystery of Christ. That Christ is in us the hope of glory. Keep that text back up there for me. Christ is in us the hope of glory and that Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. He's the one that's preaching that mystery to the Gentiles. He was sent as the apostle to the Gentiles. And look, for that message, for that message, that was his purpose. That was his divine destiny. But he suffered for the message. He suffered because of the purpose. He suffered because of the responsibility. It says imprisonments, countless beatings. That means he couldn't count them. If you say countless beatings, it means I've just lost count. I've been, been beat so much for this message to the Gentiles that I've just kind of lost count. And often near death. Got beat so many times and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes, less than one. Five times he received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. It's interesting, before the Apostle Paul was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, and he oversaw the stoning of Stephen. And he was stoned. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. Verse 26, on frequent journeys, 
in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, the people I've been sent to preach to, danger from the people that I'm called to preach the mystery of the gospel, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. It was danger, danger, stranger danger, right? I mean, this was intense, countless beatings, beat with rods, shipwrecked, danger, rivers, robbers, own people, Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, it's just, just like I, I, I experience all of these things physically. And to put the icing on the cake on top of all of my sufferings, apart from all of the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, the churches that he had planted and brought the mystery of the gospel to. I just want us to sit and think about that. This is the Apostle Paul. And this is, he describes himself as a prisoner of Christ. How do you experience that type of suffering and that type of pain and still have the right perspective and understanding about your purpose? It's because he saw himself correctly. And the sufferings were not meant to shipwreck his faith, but the sufferings were a springboard to his faith. The suffering was a springboard to his faith. And this is what he says. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Listen to this. This is so profound. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, all those things that we just read, that what has happened to me has really served to do what? To advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all of the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so we need to see ourselves correctly so that we can understand suffering correctly. You know, there are many of you here this morning, you're suffering this morning. You're going through pain, you're going through trials, you're going through difficulties, and you have questions. God, why? Why am I experiencing this? Why did I have to go through that divorce? Why did this loved one have to get cancer? Why did I have to get laid off on my job? Why, 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 God, why am I experiencing this? And, and, and we're, we're fighting all these thoughts from of false prosperity gospel that's telling us that, that if God was good, he wouldn't allow this. And then, and, then, and then you've got your own fear and your own anxiety. And you have all these worries. And you know what's powerful is? Is that when we see ourselves correctly, that our life does not belong to us. That, that our life belongs to Christ. And we are, we are, if we're in Christ, and we are, as Paul says, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that life is not about me. Life is not about my temporary happiness and, 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 and everything working out perfectly for me in my everyday life. When we understand that proper perspective, then we can look at our sufferings not as something that derails the gospel, not as something that, 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 that proves the gospel wrong, but actually something that propels the gospel. Amen? 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 And that's the, that, that, that is so key, and this is what is so powerful with the Apostle Paul. All of the difficult, all the difficulties that he went through, and he was able to say that these sufferings were actually used to further to advance the gospel. In Christ, our sufferings and trials have meaning. The devil will try to whisper in your ear when you suffer and tell you meaningless, meaningless, 
Hopeless, hopeless. There's no hope. Where's your God? But in Christ, our sufferings and trials have meaning. Apart from relationship with him, though, the the difficulties of this life only serve to bring despair. In Christ, though, our difficulties, trials, and sufferings serve, listen to this, listen, serve to give us opportunity to display the power of the gospel. We're not promised we won't suffer. We will suffer. You will suffer. The question is not when. The question is not if. It's when. When's my time coming? You know, I think about my life. I think about the people. You, know, you guys come and you tell me through the prayer requests you write. And we read every day as pastors that you put on that prayer wall. And some of you will come up to me before service, after service, and tell me your struggles and your pain. And my, my heart is filled with, with, with love and compassion for what you go through. And then in the back of my mind, I think, when's it, when's it going to be my turn? When's it coming? When am I going to have to bear the suffering? Because I'm not promised that I won't suffer. But the question I have to ask myself is, will I stand in faith? So how is the gospel advanced in the middle of suffering? It's whenever you stand in faith. It's whenever you look at the circumstances all around you and there is no reason why you should stand in faith. There is no reason why you should still be trusting God. And those around you that don't know Christ, they look at you on your job and maybe they look at you in your family and they think this person should be crawled up in the corner giving up on life because of what they're going through. But instead, I, just, I see hope. Instead, I see peace. Instead, I see faith. That is how the gospel is advanced through suffering. Our perspective is so important. We have to see it correctly. How we view and react to circumstances is more important than the circumstances themselves. If all we see is our immediate circumstances, then our circumstances control us. We have to have the right perspective about suffering. There is purpose. There is purpose in the suffering and in the pain. I just want to share a story that I heard on this men's conference trip. Brother Ron Ackman and Yvonne Ackman go to our church. And I asked Ron's permission to share this story. And, and they struggled and went through suffering in their life before they came to faith in Jesus Christ. They had three family members that committed suicide. They had a brother-in-law and two uncles. And Ron communicated to me on this trip about how he questioned and he wondered and, and why God did this happen? Why is this happening? And, 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 he's, a, and, and he's, he's not following Christ. He wasn't a bad man. He was, following the, he was following the Lord to the best of his understanding, but he hadn't come to the, clar- to the understanding of the clarity of the, the gospel yet. And he was looking for answers. He was looking. He's like, why is this happening? And what's powerful is, is that those, those tragedies that he experienced in his life could have been the, the nail in the coffin to future faith in him and his wife and his family's life. It could have been it. But what's powerful is, is that even through suicide, even through tragedy, as tragic as those situations were, it was the catalyst. And as Ron told me, it was the catalyst. It was the, the launch point that got him to begin to think deeply about his life, to question about his future, to question about what matters most. And today, Ron told me that he got born again because of that. His wife got born again. His dad, his son, and his daughter all came to faith in Jesus Christ because God can take every circumstance. And, and look, it was bad. You can't sugarcoat it. 
You can't say that that was good. That is terribly bad. But in Christ, God can redeem those circumstances. And that is how the gospel, amen. That is how the gospel redeems our suffering. In Christ, your suffering is not wasted. Through our sufferings, we declare the power of the mystery of Christ. That Jew and Gentile, slave and free, can be reconciled to God and to each other. And so how is this a spiritual blessing? How how can we think about this as, as a spiritual blessing? How can suffering be a spiritual blessing? It's a spiritual blessing in this, is that we have the same spiritual blessing. Listen to me. To do what the Apostle Paul did. We're not exempt from suffering like the Apostle, from suffering because the Apostle Paul suffered as, as we will suffer. And we have the same privilege to do what he did through our sufferings to boldly declare the redeeming power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, that, that is a spiritual blessing that we get to steward this gospel that has transformed us and in the middle of our pain to point others to Christ. So what is it, if I could summarize what it is that we declare in the middle of of our trials? What is it that we tell our friends, our family, and our loved ones that don't know Christ? This is what we tell them. Starting in Romans 8, verse 18, says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What shall we say then? This is what we declare. This is what you declare in the middle of suffering to those that don't know Christ. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who or what? shall separate us from the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or suicide or being laid off or cancer or disease or depression? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, say that with me, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what you declare. You declare that to people in the middle of your suffering. And that is how your sufferings are a springboard for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they advance the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's what I see in the Apostle Paul's life. He was called to steward the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles. And he stewarded it 
in the midst of suffering. And the suffering was a springboard to demonstrate the power of the gospel. Second thing I want us to see here is that in Christ, our failures are redeemed for his glory. In Christ, our failures are redeemed for his glory. In Christ, our, our, our suffering is redeemed. It's used for his glory. But in Christ also, our failures are redeemed for his glory. Let's look back at Ephesians 3. It says this, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. As when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations that has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So how did Paul get his revelation? When did he get it? Who was Paul? He was Saul, right? And in Acts chapter 9, before he became the apostle Paul, this is what we read of of Saul of Tarsus. In Acts 9, verses 1 through 2, it says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder. He was a murderer. He condoned murder of the church of Jesus Christ, of the first church of Jesus Christ. As a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he was zealous for the law. And he thought this Jesus, this way that these men, these Jewish men were following, women were following, that they, they needed to be stopped because it was false. And so he would, he would sanction murder and persecution of Christians. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And then what happened to Saul? He's breathing threats of murder. He's breathing threats of persecution. And he gets on his donkey, right? His animal. Begins to ride to Damascus. He's getting approval from the Sanhedrin to go and arrest all of the Christians that that he can find. And what happens? A bright light shines from heaven. Probably kind of a little brighter than these lights. This is pretty bright though. Can you imagine the bright light of heaven? Christ shining down. It blinded him. It knocked him off of his donkey. And and the Lord Jesus spoke. God spoke to him and said, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Right? You have that type of experience. You're blinded. But from the light, you fall off of your donkey and a voice from heaven speaks. Who are you, Lord? Scales filled his eyes and he go, eventually he gets instruction to go to Ananias' house who was who was a Jewish Christian, and Ananias was scared to death to receive Saul of Tarsus into his home. And it says that Ananias laid hands on him as, as was told him by the Lord. And he, the apostle Paul received his sight, and he was commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see this. Saul was a persecutor. Saul was a murderer. He was a persecutor, and he was a murderer. Who in here has ever murdered somebody? Don't raise your hand if you have. <laughs> but... I don't want you to me, but like just internally think about it. But you, Typically, taking of life would be one of the worst things you can think that somebody can do, right? A murderer. He was a murderer. A murderer was used to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what I want us to see, that our failures in Christ, our failures in our sin can be redeemed and can be used for his glory, can be used as a springboard for his glory. And so the Lord told Saul, he said, you're no longer going to be called Saul, you're going to be called Paul. And his name was changed. Isn't that what happens to us? 
when we're messed up in our failures and our sins, what happens to us? We become born again. And Saul's born again experience, his conversion and transformation into the Apostle Paul stands as a powerful example that God can transform anyone and use them to point others to Christ. Our failure, listen to this, our failures and sins and the failures and sins that have been made against us have no power in our lives when we have been redeemed in Christ. Amen. Let me read that again. Our failures and sins and the failures and sins that have been made against us have no power in our lives and we have been redeemed in Christ. Your past is dead. It is gone. Amen. That's what it says. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what are you? You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're brand new. Your sin, the sin of your past, the pain of your past, the struggles of your past, what you did to dishonor God that brought pain in your life, what others did to you that brought pain in your life, if you are in Christ, it is gone. The power that the enemy wants to use from those past experiences and failures and struggles to bring back into your life, to bring shame and guilt and oppression and depression, the the enemy is powerless to do that when you're in Christ. It's been defeated. It is impossible for what has been dead, what has been crucified, to be raised back to life when it's been crucified in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this. If you're in Christ, this is true of you. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, the life I live in this life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are born again. You're born again. Your past is dead. Your past is gone. Your sins are forgiven if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him. No more guilt, no more shame. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. First Peter tells us that we have been born again, born again, made new through the imperishable seed of God's word. God's word comes through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are born again through the seed of God's word. John tells us in 1 John that those who practice righteousness have been born of God. That means that the old man that would practice unrighteousness is what? It's dead. That old man or woman that used to practice unrighteousness, if you're a believer in Jesus, they're dead. They're dead. That means the guilt, the shame, the rejection, the pain, it's all been buried in Christ. And when you, when you come up out of the water, the symbol of baptism, that symbolic uh, obedience that we do in baptism, when you come up out of the water, it symbolizes that that old man is still in there and that only one new person arises. It's a new person in Christ. In Christ, our past failures and sins are not, listen, listen. In Christ, hear this, our past failures and sins are not worth resurrecting. Our failures and sins that have been forgiven and forgotten. Do you remember when we talked about that in, in, in week one or two of this series? When it talked, about, it talked about how we are redeemed. We have been bought back. Our sins have been redeemed and forgiven. And one of my points was, was that in Christ, our sins have been forgiven and forgotten. 
Our failures and sins that have been forgiven and forgotten are now the foundation of our testimony to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm going to make it practical for you. had a, another conversation with her brother just recently. His name is Shane Scott, and Shane Scott goes to our church. He's a great brother, faithful follower of Jesus Christ, and I just want to talk about how God can use any avenue, any avenue as a believer, can, anything can be used from God, you know, that's sanctified and holy, <laughs> that can be used from God to be something to point others to Christ. You know, Shane hasn't always followed Christ. He, he, at one point, had followed the ways of this world and the lust of his flesh and did whatever he wanted to do, but, God, what, but what did God do? God redeemed him. And so he, had, he told me this story about how at work they have what's called Cheeto Friday. How many Cheeto lovers we have here this morning? Now look, there's two different kinds of Cheetos. There's the skinny Cheetos. You know what I'm talking about? The skinny kind of crooked Cheetos that look like, I don't know what a skinny crooked Cheeto looks like, but you guys want to talk about it? And then you got the Cheeto puffs. How many puff lovers we have? Oh, it's all about the puffs this morning. And he specifically clarified to me yesterday that this is a Cheeto puff Friday at work. This is not the crooked Cheeto. This is the Cheeto puff, which is the best type of Cheeto. It's my favorite. I actually had a bag of Cheeto puffs when we were talking about this uh, awesome story here. And so at his work, they found, he found common interest with others that like Cheeto puffs, and they got together, and they created a break for 30 minutes a day where actually their boss comes to the Cheeto Friday for 30 minutes, sometimes even longer, and they just eat Cheeto puffs <laughs> and talk about life, right? And, and then in passing, it's like he just said it like it was like just second nature. He said, and it's also a great opportunity for me to share my faith, right? God can use Cheeto puffs, in your life as a springboard for the gospel, right? Look, all of us have sin and failures that God has redeemed, restored us. We're new in Christ. And if it's a Cheeto puff that gives me an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna eat me some Cheeto puffs. Actually, I'm kind of praying that that might be my next ministry, (laughs) that I have a Cheeto puffs ministry like Shane Scott because I love Cheeto puffs. Don't be buying me Cheeto puffs though. I don't need any Cheeto puffs. Do you know you can light a Cheeto puff on fire and it'll be like a candle? (laughs) Did you know that? Because <laughs> of the, <laughs> this is going off the rails here, brother. <laughs> What's that? I can't hear you. Rabbit, that, yeah, rabbit trail. This is a rabbit trail. <laughs> I got to get back. <laughs> but but, but what, what is your Cheeto Friday? What is your Cheeto Friday that God will use to be a springboard for you to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was full of addiction and, and, and sin and lust and greed and anger and bitterness. I once was this, but hey, I've been born again. And I want you to know, those of you who are still dealing with guilt and shame over your past, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, tell the devil to close his mouth. Tell him to shut his mouth. Romans 8. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no legal ability for the devil to look at you and say, you are not justified. He has no grounds. If you're in Christ, the gavel has already been struck. And the gavel that was struck was based upon the blood of Jesus Christ that has cleansed your sins and has justified you by faith in him. So you can tell the devil to keep quiet. 
And so when you do talk about your sins and you do talk about your pain, you do talk about your past, talk about it from the standpoint of preaching the redeeming power of the gospel. Amen? So what is it that we declare as people who have been reconciled to God through Christ? We read what we declare up earlier to those who have not been reconciled to Christ and don't understand how we have hope through suffering. What do we read to those that have not been reconciled to God? It says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen, all this is from God. All this is from God. All this saving business, redeeming business, transforming business, it's from him who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation to steward. He gave us, listen, listen, he gave me and he gave you. It's not just a preacher's job to have the ministry of reconciliation. It is our job as believers. All of us who have been redeemed by Christ, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, what does that look like? That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but we're citizens of the kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ. And what what do we do? God makes his appeal through us. Think about how powerful that is. Let's think about it for a second. God makes his appeal through sinful lips through lips who used to curse God, through, 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 through lips that used to, to discredit God in his ways, through, through eyes, through, through, through lips and through the intellect of somebody who used to be lustful, used to be filled with hate and anger, through lips that used to curse God and curse others and speak hateful words, through those lips that have been redeemed and sanctified. He makes his appeal through us. And what do we do? What do we say? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. Our, our suffering is redeemed and is an avenue for us to join with the Apostle Paul in the sharing of this communication of the mystery of Christ and and our sins and our failures and the pain of our past is a springboard that we can launch from and can declare we can have the spiritual blessing of declaring the mystery of the gospel which is Christ in us the hope of glory and my third thing that we want to look at as we conclude is this is that in Christ the church is unified for one purpose in Christ the church is unified for one purpose go back to the text Ephesians 3 8 through 10 Paul continues, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what does that mean? That we, that through the church, that the wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. The rulers and authorities in heavenly places, as Paul is describing here, are the, are the, are the angels. The angels in heaven and the fallen angels in hell. And what he's saying here 
is that God deserves worship and God deserves glory and God deserves praise. And that when the angels, the heavenly angels and the fallen angels look down and see what God's doing in his church. And he sees that redeemed, that that broken lives are redeemed. When he sees that broken marriages, when they see that broken marriages are restored. When they see that people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography are set free through the power of the gospel. When they see the church that's full of redeemed people bear the name of Jesus Christ and spread that message throughout the world. They bring God glory. They bring God glory. They glorify and honor him. What do the angels in heaven do 24 hours a day? They glorify him. Worthy is the lamb. Holy is the lamb. 24 hours a day, they glorify and worship him. And when they get a glimpse at what we do, it it increases that worship and that glory. So what does that tell us? It tells us that in Christ, the church's purpose, the unified purpose that we have, we have one purpose, and that is to glorify God. It's to glorify him. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6 says this, For although... There may be so-called gods, lowercase g, in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, lowercase. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. All things exist through him. And we exist for him, for the praise of his glory. Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says this. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and... What's our purpose? It's to glorify God. It's to glorify God. This is why we exist, and this is the beauty. We have a congregation full of redeemed, broken people. We have a congregation full of people who go through suffering, who go through pain, who go through trials. We have a congregation of people who have all kinds of backgrounds with with sin and addiction and, and pain and suffering, but who have been redeemed under and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, who are broken but redeemed, come together for the singular purpose of glorifying him. Amen? So I want to remind us of what our purpose statement is at Living Word Church. I told you this at the end of our DNA series. So here's our purpose statement at Living Word Church. We exist for the purpose of exalting Christ. I want to see Christ exalted in all that we do, church. I don't don't want what we do to be meaningless. I don't want to waste my time or your time when we gather on Sundays. We gather on Wednesdays and we do the things that we do in life groups and at home at Christian school and all the things we do, our church does. I don't want to waste our time, your time. It is all about exalting Christ. Every song that we sing, every message that we preach, every life group that we lead, every volunteer that volunteers, it's about exalting Christ. If we miss the mark on this, we miss the mark on everything. It is about exalting him. It's not about exalting me. It's not about exalting a personality. It's not about any of, any of these earthly things. It is about these earthly things being used to exalt his name. Because it is in his name that is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is through his name that the gospel has the power to transform lives. And that is our purpose. That is why we exist as a church is to exalt him. And I just want to encourage you. 
I want, I want to encourage you that you are called to that calling just as I am called to that calling. That when we come together on Sundays, we unify under that banner, the banner of Jesus Christ. So what are we about here? We're about exalting Christ. And secondly, as Christ is exalted, we want to make disciples. What is, it, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a follower. My son's a follower. I, he is a disciple of Ben Bufkin. He's got to listen to me. But, but what I say to Joel is I say, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what a disciple is. It's that you become, as a Christian, the portrait that you want others to emulate. You become the portrait that others can look at and can say, that's, I want to be like that person. I want to walk in the maturity that I see in their life. So what is discipleship? It's us being involved in each other's lives and caring for one another, loving, for, loving one another, praying with one another, crying with each other, laughing with each other, teaching God's word to each other, reading scripture, loving scripture, growing in Christ. We make disciples. And as we make disciples, as we grow in Christ, what happens? Third purpose. The saints, the believers are equipped to do what? To go to step one, to exalt Christ and to make disciples. That's, that's how it works. It's a, it's a circular pattern. If we will exalt Christ, God will draw men and women to salvation. And if we will make disciples, they will be sanctified and matured, and they're going to be equipped and ready to exalt Christ and make disciples. Amen? Would you stand to your feet with me? That is our purpose. And we want to, we want to join in with the Apostle Paul. We, we are prisoners of Christ. We counted a privilege just as he counted it a privilege to be stewards of the mystery of Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that as believers in Christ, that you have given us the spiritual blessing and the privilege of stewarding the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And God, I, I just pray for those in here this morning that are struggling, that are suffering, that are going through pains and trials. Lord, we pray for them this morning. God, they are our brothers and sisters, and we hurt for them. We grieve for them and what they are going through. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with them. You are with them. God, I pray, Lord, that they would cling to you with all of their heart. And God, I pray that as they are walking through this journey, that they will get to the point where, where they will see and they will realize that God is going to use that situation for the praise of his glory and for his name. Lord, be with them, comfort them. And God, for those here this morning, Lord, that are filled with shame and guilt over past sins and failures, Lord, if they have been redeemed and forgiven, God, I pray that you would remind them of who they are in Christ, that who, their past does not define them. But as prisoners of Jesus Christ and slaves of, of Christ, that is what defines us. We belong to him. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for those that don't know you here this morning. Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning that do not know you, that are not in relationship with you, we implore, we implore you this morning, be reconciled to God. You need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to the Father. No other way. No other way. Lord, I pray that they would hear that message and that they would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they would surrender to him. Draw people to yourself this morning. 